Jessica, you guys are awesome. Very talented. Thank you for using your talents to give glory to God. That's awesome that you guys do that for us and for him. All right. Well, church family, let's take a moment and take our offering. Speaking of God being a way maker, is he making ways in your life? Is he providing you with things that you didn't think you could provide for yourself? Let's thank him for that. Let's, in obedience to him and to his word, let's go back to him and give back to him our tithes and our offerings. Amen? All right, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father God, holy and precious is your name. God, we are just humbled by the things that you do in our life, not just the stuff that we read about you that you have done in your word, but the stuff that you continue to do day in and day out, every single night, every single day, every morning that you work on our behalf. You bring fullness to our life like we could never have without you. Your spirit in our life and in our heart is overflowing and blessing those around us. And God, we, we just thank you, we honor you, and we, we praise you for that. God, take these tithes and these offerings just as a symbol of our obedience, of our acknowledgement that you are sovereign in our lives and you have control and we would not have it any other way. God, take these tithes and these offerings as you see fit and serve your kingdom to serve your house here and abroad all over the world, the spreading of your word. Amen. Amen. All right, so you can make those offerings online as always, ehctx.org. Click on giving or right here in the pillar on your way out after service. All right, we're going to have a reading from the book of Esther. The book of Esther. Pastor Randy's starting a new teaching series that's going to be fascinating. If you don't know the story of Esther, it is really awesome. They make movies about it. Right? It's so cool what God does in this story, this amazing story of reversal that happens, and we'll get into it. We're going to start in Esther chapter 1, verse 1. Esther chapter 1, verse 1. The heading there is Queen Vashti is deposed. This is what happened during the time of Xerxes. The Xerxes, who ruled over 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. That's Iran to India to Egypt. This guy is over a large territory. He was in the movie 300, even, if you remember that. At the time that King Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the citadel of Susa, the capital, and in the third year of his reign, just three years, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials, the military leaders of Persia and Media, the princes and the nobles of all the provinces were present for a full 180 days. He displayed his vast wealth in his kingdom and splendor of his glory of his majesty. Six months, half a year. What a party. When these days were over, the king gave a banquet, one big, huge last party lasting seven days in the enclosed garden of the king's palace for all the people from the least to the greatest who were in the citadel of Susa. The garden had hangings of white and blue linen fastened with cords of white linen and purple material to silver rings on marble pillars. There were couches of gold and silver 
on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, a volcanic rock that was expensive, marble, mother of pearl, and other costly stones. Wine was served in goblets of gold, and each one different from the other. And the royal wine was abundant in keeping with the king's liberality. By the king's command, each guest was allowed to drink with no restrictions, for the king instructed all the wine stewards to serve each man whatever he wished. What a party. It's an open bar for seven full days, whatever you want, drinking out of gold glasses, hanging out with the, the expensive tapestry, the, the expensive floors, an extremely wealthy and abundant party. So Queen Vashti also gave a banquet for the women in the royal palace of King Xerxes. On the seventh day, when King Xerxes was high in spirits from wine, he commanded the seven eunuchs who served him, and then he, the author lists them out, and I'm not going to embarrass myself listing all of these Persian names, to bring before him Queen Vashti, wearing her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and the nobles. He wanted to show her off, for she was lovely to look at. But when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come. Then the king became furious and burned with anger. Remember, she was giving her own party at the time, hosting her own party. And now the king wants to say, hey, let me, come over here. I'm going to show off your beauty. All right. Biblical womanizer. Since it was customary for the king to consult experts in matters of law and justice, he spoke with the wise men who understood the times and were closest to the king. And then he lists out their names. The seven nobles of Persia and Media who had special access to the king and were highest in the kingdom. He says, according to the law, what must be done to Queen Vashti? He asks, she has not obeyed the command of King Xerxes that the eunuchs have taken to her. Then Memucan replied in the presence of the king and the nobles, Queen Vashti has done wrong. Not only against the king, but also against all the nobles and the peoples and all the provinces of King Xerxes. For the queen's conduct will become known to all women, and they will despise their husbands and say, Well, King Xerxes commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, but she would not come. This very day, the Persian and Median women of all nobility who have heard about queen's conduct will respond to all the king's nobles in the same way. There will be no end to the disrespect and discord. Therefore, if it pleases the king, let him issue a royal decree and let it be written in the laws of Persia and Media that cannot be repealed that Vashti is never again to enter the presence of King Xerxes. Also let the king give her royal position to someone else who was better than she. They couldn't have her disobey her king because it might set precedent and their own wives would not obey them anymore. Ancient times. When the king, then the, when the king's edict was proclaimed throughout all his vast realm, all the women will respect their husbands from the least to the greatest. The king and his nobles were pleased with this advice. So the king did as Mimukan proposed. He sent dispatches to all parts of the kingdom, to each province in his own script, to each people in their own language, proclaiming that every man should be ruler over his own household using his native tongue. 
This is just getting started. Just wait. Very good. Thank you so much, Eric. I appreciate that and appreciate the opportunity to share with you guys from God's Word. What an interesting, interesting passage of Scripture. What an interesting, interesting character that we have in Queen Esther. Queen Esther is one of the biggest heroines of our uh, Old Testament uh, stories. It is just a huge, huge blessing to be able to share with you the things that are going on. And uh, we'll be going through this for the next few weeks. We're going to go deep. We're going to go a lot deeper than we normally would on a single passage of Scripture. We'll be just uh, going into the entire book It's only about 10 chapters, but I want to just encourage you two or three times at least during our time in the book of Esther, I encourage you to go back and read that book so you can kind of get an overview of what it means and what uh, some of the story is there in this particular passage that we're going to be going deep on. Mainly, we're going to be following Esther. I'm going to give you a little bit, well, I'm going to give you a lot of groundwork and a little bit of an overview of the the book itself today, and we're going to be talking a little bit about the original feminist in the Old Testament, Queen Vashti, that we just heard about, uh, standing up to her husband. She doesn't need no man telling her what to do. Ladies, can I get an amen? Okay, all right, not bad, not bad. So here is the truth. We are going to look at this story But there is so much to learn, not just about interactions, but most importantly, so much most importantly, it is about God and his work in the midst of what's going on in human history. So this is actually going to be something that I'm going to be sharing with you over the next few weeks, but it is from Great Lives from God's Word, which is a series of books that are written about the biblical characters by a guy by the name of Chuck Swindoll. Maybe you've heard of him before. He has a radio program called Insight for Living. It is a great program. I can vouch for, let me see here. I've read one, two, three, four, five, six, six of these, and every single one of them is amazing. I've read a number of those six more than once. I've preached on these different uh, books as well from David. Joseph, Moses, Elijah was last year, and now we're doing Esther. There's some great stories. I guess I actually have done seven of these, sorry. Um, But there are some fantastic books that you can read. You can even probably get these on Audible if you're an Audible member, if that's a thing that you're doing. I encourage you to read these books because it will help you to understand what you've read in the scriptures and going a little deeper and get a sense of how you can learn more from every single passage of scripture that you've read. So let's go to this next slide, and I will just tell you that this is something that I shared with those who went through the book of Daniel. This was lesson number one. And the reason that I put this up is just to remind you that the truth is I've shared before, but the Old Testament is not something that is done in kind of chronological order. Now, this makes sense to them in that time, but not to us. We are people who are ruled by calendars and clocks and watches, and we understand time in a different way than those who told it by seasons and sunsets. And so it's a very, very different group of people that was written to. And so they have different sections of the law, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. And then they had another section, which was history, which is Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, 
But if you know what Esther actually is, is it's a story that actually happens kind of towards the end of the Old Testament era. You can see that Isaiah, Jeremiah, the book of Daniel, and Daniel chapter 6 happens officially, perfectly. We know the very day in the ancient world, 10, 12, 539 BC, Daniel chapter 6. And I'm going to talk about that in just a moment when the ruling Time and the ruling empire for the Babylonians ends on the very night that it kind of begins on a grand scale for the one that we're talking about now, the Medes and the Persians. And so the story of Esther that we're going to be talking about happens approximately 475 BC. For you and for me, we probably grasp a timeline. So I hope this sort of helps for you to understand what was going on in the timeline of Israel and where this is happening in the, in the story of history. Well, here is the truth. The Rembrandt painting that I'm going to put up right now, it, it tells about that Daniel chapter 6. And that happened when there was a writing on the wall for the Babylonians. They were in the midst of a party very much like Esther chapter 1. It was an all-out party with everyone invited, and it was crazy. Except for they had one initial or one additional thing that was even maybe more blasphemous of the things that were going on. And that was that those goblets of gold and silver had been stolen from God's temple in Jerusalem when they took the captives, Daniel included. And in this note, and this we know from history, this happened officially on October 12th. 539 BC, this is exactly what happened. There was a writing with a hand on the wall as God wrote, Mene, Mene, Tekel, which basically means you have been weighed in the balance and you've been found to be wanting. You don't measure up. And so your kingdom has been taken away from you and given to someone else. And that someone else are the Medes and the Persians. You might have heard of the Medo-Persian empire from your ancient history books. That is the empire that Esther comes into and becomes the queen. We're going to talk about how she becomes the queen. She's not even yet mentioned in Esther chapter 1. But let me just kind of share with you, this is definitely going to be an interesting story. This is the kind of story where they make movies about it. As a matter of fact, they actually have made a movie about it. It's called One Night with the King, and it is there that you can kind of look at it. I believe it might even be on Netflix. Um, I believe we've got a picture of it here on the slide. This is One Night with the King, and this is kind of what you might look for visually. And they make a movie because it is such a script that almost sounds like the kind that you would write if you were making it up. But let me just kind of do a quick story. The, the, the book itself, the book of Esther, you can kind of see this the next slide. It kind of gives you a sense of it's all about the crown. It's all about the book. It's all about the history. These things that we see that are happening at that time, they are really important to the Jewish people, but they're also really important to Christians as well. The reason they're important in the Jewish faith is because it's kind of like Hitler in the ancient times. The, the Feast of Purim is celebrated and we learn about how that came about. It all came about because of Esther. But here's why it's important. Everybody knows that Hitler you know, committed all kinds of war atrocities between five and six or seven million people that were Jewish were killed by Hitler. If Hitler 
you know, kind of could see a, a picture of who it was in the ancient world, it was a man named Haman. This is just an artist's rendering, a, an actor that's portraying him in that movie that I just referenced. We don't know what he looks like, but he was the same type of individual who had a, a grudge against not just one Jewish man, but against the entire country. He wanted to kill them all. And so let me just kind of give you a brief rundown of what we're going to cover, and then we're going to go a little deeper on what we just read about Queen Vashti and her being deposed. So let's go to this next slide. As you see here, all of the 66 books in the Bible, there's one book, and that's the book of Esther. It does not expressly mention God's name in its pages. So the word Yahweh or Lord or God is not mentioned even one single time in the book of Esther. That's different than every other one of those 56 books that makes up the Old Testament and the New Testament. But this is very, very important. God's fingerprints are all over the story. And in every single event that's detailed in this story, you're going to go, wow, God was at work. And then later you'll hear something else and you go, wow, God was at work. And then you'll look later on and you'll go, wow, man, God was really at work in that moment. Now, here's why this is important, and here's part of why we sang Waymaker. Part of it was for our graduates, but also part of it was for this part of the story. Even when I don't see it, God, I know you're working. Even when your name is not written on the page, I know this is about you, and you are doing things in this life and these lives and in human history. And so it's so incredibly important. Let me just kind of go on, and we're going to highlight Esther's story. So you just heard Eric read about Xerxes' big banquet and his big blow up with Vashti. Um, yeah, this is, this is something you just didn't do. You didn't tell your husband no, and especially didn't tell your husband no if he was the king in ancient times. And so this is a story in many ways of uh, interaction between a man and a woman in the ancient world. And it's amazing to see Esther come on the scene and the heroine that she becomes. And later on in the next passage, as we talk next week, we're going to hear about Xerxes' beauty pageant because, okay, so have you guys ever noticed when you're watching the news how many times that they say alcohol may have played a role? Have you all ever noticed that? I, I laugh at that every time because it's the truth. The truth is, is that a lot of things that happen in our world that we go, ooh, that's a bad thing. Alcohol may have played a role, follows a lot of those. Well, here's the thing. Xerxes had this big blow up, got really frustrated, got really angry, and he said, she's never going to come in here again. She's never allowed to be in my presence again. And then after he got sober after a few days, he was like, you know who I kind of miss? kind of miss my wife, Vashti. Now, let's not be kind of, um, I guess, naive. The truth is, is he had lots of concubines, but he probably only had one or two or three wives who were really actually special to him, and Vashti was one of them. But the kicker of this is that in that ancient civilization, the Medes and the Persians, if you wrote a law, you could never repeal it because they were kind of trying to show off a little bit like, man, we're so good and so godlike with our kings that when they write a law, it never gets repealed, never, because they didn't make a mistake the first time when they wrote it. So here's the, the kicker. He wants his wife back, but he already wrote a law in the heat of the moment, and alcohol may have played a role, <laughs> and he wrote that letter of the law, and now she can't come back. And so guess what he's doing? He's like, man, I sure miss my wife, you know? <laughs> he's like walking around like a hangdog expression, you know, like, 
I sure miss my wife. And all of the people are like, we got to find somebody that he can fall in love with. He's got concubines, but he doesn't have a companion. And so we got to find somebody. So I got an idea. We're going to do a beauty pageant. And so they do a beauty pageant and spoiler alert, the woman who wins is on the count of three, just take your wildest guess since we're in the Esther sermon series here on the count of three, guess who wins it? One, two, three. Yeah. You guys have seen this movie before. This is good. So here is the truth. Xerxes has a beauty pageant. Esther is the winner. Oh, I put it up there. If y'all missed that. Oh man. If y'all missed that question, if you had another answer other than Esther, we probably need to talk. Mordecai hears a plot and speaks out, but is overlooked. This is really important to the whole story. It's incredible, and it's amazing how God is weaving together this tapestry. We'll talk more about that. And then we talked about Haman, his hatred, and his, his, his Hitler-esque plan. That's not easy to say. Um, and those things that he wanted to do to get rid of the entire Jewish race. And then we find Esther, who is going to step forward and move in history. And she says, I'm going to take my chances so I can save my people. She hosts a banquet of her own. She is incredibly bold, incredibly brave. And it is a, uh, it's a chill-inducing moment. And then Xerxes in the big plot twist and justice for all. is great, great story as we talk about it over the next few weeks. Don't miss it. If you do have to miss because you're going to be out of town, Go back and follow up because it is just such a great story that you will love. Now, let's go to this next slide. And I share with you guys, especially as we begin our sermon series and teaching series, one to remember, one of those scriptures to remember for yourself. And this is when she is encouraged to get off the sidelines and get involved. This is what is told to her by Mordecai, her, her father figure in her life. If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. But who knows that you may have come to your royal position for such a time as this. And you might have even heard that phrase, for such a time as this, because it just acknowledges that God is still moving in human history and in human life to change human history. And so this is a powerful one. And if you only remember one verse, if you want to go through and memorize scripture so you start hiding his word in your heart that you might not sin against God, this is a great one for you to memorize. Now let's go very quickly to another something to learn. I've already talked with you that God's name is not in Esther, but it is everywhere in Esther, you know, the, the, the nameless uh, power. But the word providence comes from the Latin word providentia. And that has two Latin root words, pro, meaning before, and videri, which means to see. That's where we get our word video from. So if you have ever heard anybody talk about providence, uh, pardon me, Esther, you will hear oftentimes the word providence because it seems like God is moving every single piece on the chessboard exactly where he wants it to be. So his will might be accomplished. So his people might be saved from their certain annihilation. It's just an awesome thing to watch and to see. So very quickly, I want to remind you that this is who God is. This is what God does. Like we get it and we understand that God is moving things in history to make his plan come to pass. And it's really important. There's, 
You guys know I usually use the NIV so you guys can maybe understand it a little bit better. But there is one verse of scripture, not the only, but there is one verse of scripture I'm going to share with you today from the King James Version. That's the one my dad used to use when I was small, snotty-nosed kid, sitting on the back row getting in trouble and all that stuff. I heard all of these scriptures in the King James Version, and one I just can't shake is the one from Romans chapter 4. It is so beautiful. It says these words, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. You all notice the thee in there? So you know it's King James. That's from Genesis chapter 17, verse 5. Before him whom he believed, even God who quickens the dead. And then I want you to focus on this last line. And calleth those things which are not as though they were. Now, I want to just take a quick little detour as to what this passage is actually saying. It's basically saying that God looks at human history as an accomplished fact because he already knows that providence that to see beforehand is happening in him all the time. He looks into human history and he's like, oh, I already know what's going to happen and I'm going to make it happen with the moves that I make. It's a very, very powerful thought process to think about the fact that God knows human history as an accomplished fact. And so he calls those things which are not as though they already were because he knows they're going to be. Don't make me say that again, but do you understand what I'm saying? He sees it as accomplished fact. And so when he starts calling Abram, Abraham, he starts talking about him from the exalted father as the father of many, and yet he only has one son at that time in his life. Why is he doing that? Because he sees those things which are not and calls them as if they already were. That's who God is. That's who God is in your life. That's who God is in my life. And it gives me chills to think about that God sees as accomplished fact those things that he's working right now to accomplish in your life and through your life. What a beautiful thing to think about that maybe God is already working in your child, in your son or your daughter in your own life to bring about something that you can't even see the, the inkling of. You can't even see the shadow of it yet. And God has already been speaking about it as if it were an accomplished fact. That's God being God. And that's us being in awe of the God who sees it all before it even happens. Amen? I mean, isn't it beautiful to see God working in human history and working in us? But this is the big idea that I want to share with you so that we don't miss it. And you can kind of see the, the, the touch of Waymaker, the, the, the song we sang. God never stops working his plan for his glory and for your good. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. He wants to see his children accomplish his will for their life. Doesn't mean there's never going to be hard times. Doesn't mean there's not going to be challenges. There's a lot of that that will not be avoided just because you are walking in God's path. But you have to walk God's path to accomplish his will. He is going to do those things in your life that bring him glory, his plan to pass. And it's also going to be something that helps you to touch eternity with your life. Now, I'm just going to break it all down. This is the truth about human history. We want to leave this world better than we found it. We want to be remembered for the right reasons and for the good things. 
We want to know that our life was not just simply a use of oxygen that passed off and nobody noticed. Now, just off the top of my head, didn't plan to go down this road and I'm not going too far, but just off the top of my head, if you told me, and I, I'm 50 years old, I'm 50 years old, <laughs> what, Randy, you look like you're 25, I know, I know, I'm 50 years old, if you tell me I die tomorrow, but I've made a huge impact, or you tell me I can live till I'm 80, but no impact, guess which one I want? I want my wife and my kids to be changed because I was in their life and God was working in that situation. I want to partner with God to do something that touches eternity. Like, that's what I want. And I have a feeling that that's what you want as well. You want your children, your family, your community, your world to be different because you were in it and God was with you, directing you. So if that is ever going to happen... You've never got to lose, you've got to make sure that you never lose sight that he is not work, he is not working here and there and then quitting. He's not going, well, I worked five days this week, so I'm on vacation next week. I've got a few personal days coming to me. Ah, that's not God. 24-7, 365, even 366 when the leap years hit, he never stops working. Jesus even said it to his critics. He said, you're, you're frustrated that I'm working on the Sabbath? Man, my father has been working since before time began, and he's never taken a day off. He's working that hard, that frequently, that constantly in your life and mine. I love what Eric said earlier. I was about to call him off and say, Eric, no more. You're about to preach my message. <laughs> it was so good. Here's what I would say. God is always working We've been saying our big idea together uh, out loud, so I'm going to ask you to do that with me very quickly. In just one moment, I'm going to read it one more time, and then I'm going to have you uh, read the big idea with me. So let's go back, if you don't mind. God never stops working his plan for his glory and for your good if you are his child. Would you guys say this out loud with me? God never stops working his plan for his glory and for my good because I am one of his children. Now, by the way, if you are not one of his children, that last line is a hope, but not a promise. In Romans 8, 28, that's a promise for his children. I would recommend, you know, maybe deciding I'll become his child so I can know that everything, even the difficult and hard things, bring about his plan, and it's for my good. We know that all things work together for the good to those that love the Lord and those that are the called according to his purpose. So you may be saying to me, well, Randy, I don't understand because I don't really see God working in my life. I don't see God working the way that I want to. And I'm, to be honest, I'm not sure he's working. Here's what I would love to say to you. If that is what you're maybe thinking, maybe you're just not looking in the same places that God is working at the same time when he's working. So let me just kind of share with you a couple of ways. Where is God working? Let's go to this next slide. Where is God working? <laughs> He's working in a foreign land among people that are not his own. In this passage of scripture that Eric just read, that whole entire first chapter of Esther, we don't even hear about Esther or Mordecai. We don't really even hear about the Jews. We hear about some foreign king in the empire we don't know what God's doing. Why in the world does this matter to God? And why did he put it in his word? 
And why is this book called Esther if we haven't even heard her name yet one chapter out of ten? Because God's working all the time. But this is important. If you think to yourself the only way that God can work is if everybody in that area or in that situation or in that problem are all Christians, that's when God's able to work. I think God can work better and more there. But be very clear, God doesn't have to have your you know, permission to accomplish his will in your life. He doesn't. It's a whole lot easier. It's a whole lot more exciting. It's a whole lot better. And the benefits far outweigh. But here's the beautiful thing. Even when people don't believe in God, God still exists. Even when people don't think he's working, he's still working. Even when people don't grasp that God is at work in their life or that they, who don't even believe in that God, are accomplishing his purposes, they still stand. His purposes stand. End of story. So in a foreign land among people that are not his own, God is still working. So let me ask you this. Does this matter to us in 2021? Oh, yeah. Because there's less and less of God out there, and yet God is still accomplishing what? His purposes, his plan. And isn't it good to know that whoever wins an election or whoever loses an election, no matter if that's election here in the United States or somewhere else, in the Senate or the House or the presidency, it doesn't matter, the local government that we have, God's at work and he's accomplishing his plan among people that might not even believe in him, but they're still doing his will. When he writes the note and says, Vashti can never come into my presence, he closes the door on this woman who stood up for herself so that she wouldn't be used as an object. But he also opens the door for a woman who is going to save his people from annihilation. He closes one door and opens another and it all happens without them even grasping, I'm doing this so God's people and his plan will live. It's amazing if you think about it. So let that one sit with you for a minute. All right, let's keep going to this next slide very quickly and don't miss this. Never be naive enough to believe that God can only work with and through perfect people or in perfect situations. I have told some of you who have asked to come up and speak before, that I've told you before, you're like, well, I'm not sure I should really be up on stage at the church because to be honest with you, there's a couple areas in my life where I'd really rather have all those things nailed down just perfect before I step up and get behind the, the pulpit, you know, the, the threatening pulpit, Right? And I tell you, just like I told all of those people who have ever said that to me, if we waited for somebody to be perfect to stand behind a pulpit, we would never have preaching on Sunday. Just isn't going to happen. I stand up here every single week, a work in progress. Tons of the time, I'm speaking more to me than I am to you. I'm getting more out of it than I'm giving to you because I know that the Lord's at work in my life. He didn't put me here because I'm perfect. He put me here because I'm a work in progress. So that's for all of us. So don't ever think that God can only work with and through perfect people or in perfect situations. God is at work all the time, and it doesn't even matter if the people that he's using as pieces on a chessboard are ones that have committed their life to him. Now, very quickly, don't forget this passage of scripture from Isaiah chapter 55, a passage that came to my mind, and also Chuck Swindoll wrote it. It just so perfectly fits. My thoughts are not your thoughts. 
Neither are my ways or your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And then in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1, the Bible says, In the Lord's hand, the king's heart is like a stream of water. He channels it towards all of those who please him. In other words, the Lord sticks his finger down into human history and says, Let's take it this way. And human history takes a beeline for exactly where God's finger said, this is what we change, and this is how it's done. That's just God being God. Very cool, Randy. Great. History lesson. Yay, I've always loved history. Here's the deal. God hasn't changed the way that he works in people. If he did it back then, guess who can still do it today in your situation and in mine? It's still God being God. And Eric already mentioned it. I'm going to mention it again. If you need help in ways that you can't figure out how it's going to get fixed, I don't know how it's going to get fixed, but I can tell you who will do the fixing. It's God. He will make it work, and he will bring it about. That's just amazing. All right, very quickly. Where is God also at work? Among his people in the land of their exile. They've been pulled off into another country that they don't want to be in. Have you ever felt like you were in a waiting room in your spiritual life? Ever felt like you were in a waiting room in your own personal life? And you think to yourself, man, I don't even know if God knows where to find me. God always knows where to find you. God always is working. And even in a land where you've been exiled because of disobedience, even when you're walking through consequences for your own sin or problems, God hasn't said, now you deal with that on your own. You find a way to get out on your own. No, no. He says, you're going through these things, and I'm not going to stop the consequences, but I'm also not going to leave you. Never will I leave you, and never will I forsake you, even when you're learning hard lessons and so even when they were exiled, God was not done working in their life nor their situation. So here is where I have to ask you a big question. And this is really, really important. The big question I have to ask, are you properly valued? There, there was a guy who wrote out one time a quote that I thought it was so powerful. He said, most of the time, the price tag that the world puts on us is the one we already put on ourselves. I'm going to say that one more time, and I want you to think about it and, and listen. Most of the time, the world values us at the same level that we have already valued ourselves. So if we don't think we're worthy or worth anything, guess what people begin to treat us like? Like we're not worth anything. But if we realize that we're children of the king, and that we don't have to apologize for anyone. That nothing that anybody on this world or on this earth can say about us defines who we are or are not. If we can grasp that, we stop living for people and we start living for God. It's a totally different existence. Because I don't know about you, but man, people can be harsh. Can I get an amen, right? I don't want to put myself in their hands. People can be hurtful. People can be neglectful. People can intend to do good things for us and then forget us. If you put yourself in their hands to define you or value you, you are putting your hand, yourself in the hands of someone who is imperfect, sometimes mean-spirited, 
sometimes forgetful, but in every single way, never worth you placing your value in their sight. And can I just say something? A lot of times I say stuff that, that goes from top to bottom, but some things that I say are so specific. Can I just tell you, as a husband or a wife, don't ever let your spouse define who you are. I know that that sounds like I'm putting distance between you, but I'm not. I'm actually encouraging you to be stronger together because the truth of the matter is, is that you can eliminate codependency. You can both serve the other as if serving Christ, not serving for your own good to get back. It is a powerful difference, and it can make all of the difference in the world. But here's the question. If you're a child of God, God is working in you and through you. You don't ever allow someone else or yourself to pull you down in the value that you have. Are you properly valued? That's a big question. And if you are not, can I just remind you in Esther, you're going to hear more tomorrow. Tomorrow is not happening. A week from now is happening. I'm just here to tell you that every person that's gone through the kinds of things that Esther has faced could have easily thrown in the towel and said, what in the world is my life worth? What value do I have? And she is an incredible, incredible, inspiring person of God's grace. So very quickly, where else is God working? He's working in a bunch of random events happening over many years, over many mundane days. Don't miss this. I want to go to this next slide very quickly. We've heard the story. We've heard the old quote that God works in mysterious ways. I'm here to tell you that maybe more important than God working in mysterious ways, God also works in mundane ways and mundane days. God is at work doing things for Esther, and she doesn't even grasp it until, boom, the spark lights and everything changes. Here's the deal. The problem for most of us is there's so many mundane day after day after day that we lose sight that God is still at work. If we've lost sight of that, we forget that God is doing things in us, for us, through us. We cease to live as his child, and we think that our life no longer matters. And can I just say something real quick? I'm not going to say much more than just one sentence. But if your highest goal and aim is to entertain or distract yourself, you've lost sight of why God created you. He didn't create you to finish Netflix. He created you to accomplish a purpose on this earth, and it doesn't have anything to do with you most of the time. It has to do with his plan and his people. So very quickly, let's keep moving here. And I, I think these are random events that happen in Esther, in the book of Esther, and I want to just talk about them very quickly. They seem very random, quote-unquote random. It said, let it be written in the laws of Persia and Media, which cannot be repealed. Vashti's never to again enter the presence of King Xerxes. She's out, and she's always going to be out. Before Xerxes even came to the throne, there was a thing that was written about that laws of the Medes and Persians can never be repealed. So he writes a law. Alcohol may have played a role, but she's gone, and she's gone for good. So that opens the door for a new lady being used of God. You guys understand? Random event or God's fingerprint. I'll let you figure that out. Then it says in chapter 2, verse 7, Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he brought up because she had neither father nor mother. Hadassah in Hebrew 
is Esther. Hadassah is Esther. She's raised as an orphan by her cousin who becomes her father figure. And he is a man who speaks into her life. I'm going to talk about that on Father's Day. A man who speaks into the life of those who he's raising. So powerful. He calls her from the sidelines and puts her squarely in the winner's circle when it comes to doing God's will. It's powerful. And then the the third one here is in chapter 2, verse 17. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women. They sent out... (laughs) I'm telling you more about this next Sunday, not tomorrow, next Sunday. As we talk about this, you'll see that Esther wins a beauty pageant. But I'm, can, I just, can I just be real frank and real blunt? I mean, the teens aren't in here. The kids aren't in here. Man, let's just be honest. There are things that you like about the opposite sex that just do it for you. And how, how is that? I, I can't tell you why that is. Gentlemen, some of you prefer blondes. Some of you like women who are redheads. Some of you prefer women who are dark. You know, dark hair, dark skin. So whatever it is that is kind of your type, we talk about it in that way, that's exactly what Esther was. Have you ever looked in the mirror and said to yourself, I'd love to change this or that or the other. You know, for me, it's like, I'd love to change this. (laughs) All from top to bottom. (laughs) Love to change it all. But fortunately for me, I'm the type that fits where my wife is. Let's be very clear about something. Why, Why this detour? If you think that Esther was the most beautiful woman in the entire kingdom, you might be right. But you know, have you ever watched a Miss Universe pageant and somebody says, oh, she's by far the prettiest And then you as a husband are like, what? Girl ain't even in the top 10. What are you talking about? I would just keep that to yourself, men. That's free advice. I've got a scar that I can show you if you don't think it's a good idea to keep that to yourself. Here's what I would say. When it says the king was attracted to Esther, notice they didn't say Esther was more beautiful than every other woman in the whole contest. It said that the king wanted Esther. Why does God make us want certain people in our lives? Why are we attracted to some people as friends or as spouses? Maybe God's doing something in your life that's much deeper, and he's putting you together with a team. You hear what I'm saying? I hope this is important. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying, because this is an important detour, because God's working every little detail to just accomplish his will. All right, so let's go to this next slide very quickly. We're coming close to the end. Here's how you apply. You recommit to the discipline of consistent, steady, incremental change in your spiritual life and in your service. In other words, here's what this means. This means you don't wait for the big day to come so you can show what you got. You just say, you know what, day by day, Lord, I want to get just a little closer and a little better. I want a little less of me and a little more of you. I want a little bit of a change. Today, give me half of a percent or or half of a half of a half percent. But then tomorrow, do it again. And then tomorrow, do it again. Because for most of us, we get so caught up in, is today a big change? (laughs) I mean, I could talk about stepping on a scale. We look down and it's like, oh, no. I've been dieting for seven days and I've lost one pound. This is not going to work. I'm done. 
Spiritually, we do similar things. So in other words, small incremental changes that you know will bring you closer to God will make a much bigger impact in your world. And you'd be amazed at how God pulls somebody from the sidelines and says, you've been being prepared for years, and now it's your time. Vashti is gone. Esther is ushered in. And everything about God's plan starts picking up steam and it happens immediately, well, but not overnight. Amen? Not overnight, but it happens immediately. Very quickly, I want to just share these things with you. Hopefully, uh, you can kind of grasp where I'm coming from. Unearthed in Iran, this is where Susa, modern-day Iran, archaeologists have excavated, and they found a ruin where King Xerxes refers to himself as the great king, the king of kings, the king of the land occupied by many races, the king of all this great earth. God didn't have a problem with self-love. It was good, you know? Like his self-esteem was healthy, (laughs) for sure. This is what he thought of himself. Good with himself. But it's very funny because he clearly thinks he's the one in control. As we look at all of Esther, we realize he's not anywhere close to being the one who's in control. God's name is absent. His fingerprints are everywhere. Maybe you have seen this. This is a very, very popular TV show, Breaking Bad. You guys have all at least heard of Breaking Bad, right? Okay. I won't go into the plot or anything, but um, basically it's a story of a high school teacher who gets a cancer diagnosis and he goes in a very, very different direction. He breaks bad. He goes in a different direction and uh, the high school chemistry teacher starts, you know, doing chemicals in other ways. All right? Kids are back with us. If you know the story and you know the different titles of the seasons and the series episodes and stuff, there is one of the very last ones that's called Ozymandias. And Ozymandias, sorry for the not great picture, but Ozymandias is actually this statue. And in this story, in this series, as it comes to a close, we grasp that a person who's been great has stepped onto the scene We've seen his reign, and then he is about to step off the scene and make room and space for another. Now, let's be honest. Outside of Esther, have you guys ever heard of King Xerxes? Probably not. Maybe some of you have. Maybe some of you haven't. Some of you are brand new to the idea of the Medes and Persian Empire, right? Well, it's brand new news. But at one time, it was the superpower. It was the one that ruled from Iran to India all the way back over to Egypt. It was huge. He was the biggest thing going until he wasn't. Here's what's so interesting. There was a poem written by the man who was married to the woman who wrote Frankenstein. His name is Percy Shelley. And he wrote the book, or pardon me, the poem Ozymandias. Because he had heard about this thing that they had found in the desert. The archaeologists had uncovered stuff and seen this in Egypt. So he heard about it. There wasn't pictures and photographs and stuff that he could look at. But they told him, he said, 
you can't even grasp this. You can't understand it. There was this huge statue. We can kind of get a sense of its size and its massiveness and all of this stuff. Here is the literal inscription of the thing that was shared there in the Egyptian desert. King of kings, Ozymandias, I am. And if anyone wants to know how great I am and where I lie, let him outdo me in my work. In other words, come and get some. I'm the man. And Percy Shelley wrote a poem. It basically said this. I met a traveler from an antique land who said there were two vast trunkless legs of stone that stand in the desert near them on the sand. Half sunk a shattered visage or, or face lies whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculpture well those passions read which yet survive stamped on these lifeless things. And then he goes on and he says, My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, you mighty and despair. But then Percy Shelley writes these words, But nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone level sands stretch far away. In other words, this thing that declares your greatness has now become barely a windbreak. And look out at the sands and see the sands of time have covered everything that declared you to be king of kings. King of kings. Sounds familiar, right? Not the only guy that we've been talking about who declares himself to be the king of kings, but can I tell you, there's only one king of kings. There's only one king of kings. He doesn't live in Susa. He didn't live in Egypt. And good news, he doesn't even live in Washington, D.C. The king of kings is our Lord who's accomplishing work on our behalf and for his plan for our good at all times. The question is, are we going to partner with him? Are we going to be a part of what he's doing or are we not? Because it is really truly up to us whether or not we will engage with the true king of kings as he accomplishes and directs the kingdoms of this world as a water course to accomplish his purpose. You have nothing to fear. I have nothing to fear. I don't fear tomorrow the way that those who want to be great are, because I already know if I'm connected to the greatest of all time, then truly, I worship the greatest of all time, I'm good. <laughs> You're good. Just value those things that God is doing in your life, through your life, and for his purposes to stand. Heavenly Father, as we see in our own lives and in the life of Esther, may we never forget your name may be absent from the pages of our life at times, but your fingerprints are all over it. May we never fear that we have made a difference or an impact as long as we are walking hand in hand with you. Accomplish your will in our life and your purpose in us individually. In Jesus' name we pray.